Hey everybody, welcome to the American Songwriter Podcast Network. This is All Heart with Paul Cardall. Hello everybody, welcome to All Heart. I am Paul Cardall and we made it through. 2020 is over. Here we are in 2021. I don't think 2021 anything, but here we are and we are all hopeful that this year will be so much better because it really was a bizarre year. But I think one of the biggest challenges, you look back, you know, you think about what were some of the, the biggest challenges. And I think about my kids because it has been a year of crisis, unrest and trauma for adults. Can you imagine, uh, you know, how are these kids processing all that's gone on from all the hate in politics, all the talk of death with a virus, violence. You know, we had a bombing here in Nashville. You, if that's up on the TV and a kid sees that, how do they respond to that? And, you know, we always interview creative people, artists, you know, authors, actors, but because it's it's been 2020 and it's been crazy and you know the kids are struggling and we're all struggling i wanted to bring in an expert somebody who understands clearly uh human development families how to parent uh, kids particularly kids with special needs and so i invited my sister-in-law cheryl cardall because I love what she has to say. She's very smart and I trust her. She has a degree in family and human development from the University of Utah, but she's got one of the leading podcasts right now. It's in the top 5%. It's called Fight Like a Mother. She has five kids and uh, this is a person who really understands subjects from ADHD, Tourette's syndrome, kids with anxiety, depression, suicide prevention, so many areas and so without further ado cheryl cardall thank you so much for being with us today hi cheryl i've explained to everybody what you do but if you could elaborate i have a degree in human and family development and i it was i had an emphasis in early childhood education so um i've always been fascinated with family dynamics and what makes strong families and um, and you know, how kids grow and develop and their brain development and things like that. So, um, uh, Dave and I have five kids, their ages are 10 to 21. I have, we have four boys and a girl, we have great kids and you know, like all families, we have challenges. Uh, every family has challenges. And, um, but we, the last few years we've dealt with some mental health challenges with a Actually, a few of our kids have dealt with this, and um, we just found we didn't know where to turn. There weren't a lot of resources. There, weren't, there wasn't a community to turn to. It can be a really lonely place and frustrating place because trying to find our son when we needed a therapist, we went through five therapists before we found one that he really liked and connected with. It's hard to find one that connects with adolescent boys who wants to go talk about their feelings at 13 and 14, you know, 
Nobody. Not very many. So, so that kind of has driven my purpose to uh, create some resources in a community for parents dealing with kids with extra challenges. And what's the name of your community? My community, um, my podcast, I have a podcast, I guess we'll get to that in a minute, but um, my podcast is called Fight Like a Mother, and my community on Instagram is just under my name, Cheryl Cardall. So let's talk about, let's talk about the community that you actually okay. live in, uh, because you're in Salt Lake City, which is uh -huh. predominantly uh, people who belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's a very, how would you, ex how would you explain that type of community? Because a lot of people have all kinds of different ideas of what mm -hmm. uh, the LDS church is, but what they, what a lot of people always say is, oh, they're wonderful neighbors. They're great neighbors. But what is it? How would you just, I mean, living in Utah, how would you describe to people that are living in England or Australia that are listening mm -hmm. to this podcast, what that dynamic is like? Well, it's interesting because we lived outside of Utah for 13 years. Um, we lived in uh, Phoenix and Las Vegas. And um, coming back to Utah, where both of us were raised, has been a really interesting. We had kind of a different perspective living outside of Utah. And we came to Utah, and there are wonderful people here. And um, most of our family lives here. And um, we do have great neighbors. But... Utah can be a little bit, I guess I'll call it homogenous, in that there's not a ton of diversity. And um, so it can be challenging when you don't fit in the box. And we have found in the last few years that we haven't necessarily fit in the box with some of the things our kids have struggled with. And, um, you know, people are kind and nice, but maybe not as they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say or what to do. And so I think that that's another reason why I felt driven to do what I've done is to help people understand more, to destigmatize mental health challenges, and to really help families when people don't know what to do. What do you think is the, what is the number one challenge? Okay, the number one problem that parents deal with, I really think it boils down to uh, feeling connected with our family because I think there's so much out there that can disconnect us as a family, whether that's all the activities that kids are involved in, whether it's the technology that kids are, you know, constantly exposed to, um, whether it's um, kids finding different beliefs or activities or friends that their parents don't necessarily agree with. There's lots of things out there in life that can really disconnect us, disconnect our relationships. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that families deal with, even if they don't recognize it. Because I think families are so busy today, so busy. You know, kids are in four or five different things and they're not sitting down to dinner together and they're not really even communicating. I mean, there's one study that says parents spend like 12 minutes a day talking to their kids. Mm. And, um, you know, I can see it happen. I can see it because if you're always out busy, 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 you don't have that time to really sit and connect with them. Um, so that is exact, that same thing is what's what, kids are dealing with too is because um and i don't think technology is evil 
I think technology is neutral. I think it's what we do with it and how we learn to control it. But, um, you know, some kids are just constantly in their phone and I'm, I'm not, my kids are not perfect at this either. They're, you know, on phones a lot as well, but, um, you know, we can really disconnect really easily from one another in today's society. There's so many options right now that sometimes the family gets pushed to the back burner. Yeah, it seems like there are so many distractions to uh-huh. try to disrupt family relationships and harm them, and, and not, not in, in an intentional way. Yeah. But obviously, we live in a capitalist nation, and so the advertisers, the companies, they need us to buy the products, and so we're force-fed so much information that we need this, we need that. I mean, I remember being a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons, you know, uh-huh. it's like when the toy commercial comes on, I wondered which of my friends owned that toy because I knew my parents were not going to get that toy. <laughs> so I needed to make a friend with somebody that had the matchbox that had cars that <laughs> and the plastic trace rack or racetrack so I could go and enjoy that. You know, we didn't have Nintendo, we didn't yeah. have Atari, but the neighbor did. And uh, my mother would always say, well, go make friends with them. Right. <laughs> and then you, but, well, then you, but then you had friends going, you're just using me for Super Mario Brothers. I'm like, well, what uh, else you got? <laughs> maybe. Maybe I <laughs> no, no. But kids are bombarded these days constantly with things like that and constantly that, you know, I was thinking the other day, Dave and I were talking the other day that when we were growing up and if you didn't get invited with by your friends to go do something on the weekend, your mom could say, oh, well, I'll bet they're not doing anything either. Or you don't know that they're doing that or whatever. Well, they pick up their phone and they see right there that all their friends got together and are doing something and they didn't get invited. And so they are bombarded constantly. Are, am I enough? You know, are my clothes good enough? Are my, is my body good enough? You know, are my grades good enough? It's just this constant bombarding. And we as adults aren't immune from it either. We're being bombarded as well. And so I think we just really have to take a step back and focus on what's really important. You make a good point because we're getting to a place in our society where we are rating each other because we rate mm-hmm. businesses on the quality of their product. And, you know, Matt Zuckerberg created Facebook to rate women. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a very misogynistic thing that he created. He gets a pass because we all love Facebook. Yeah, love but, Facebook, yeah. Yeah, but now it's like everyone has a rating based on, you know, who we are. And we are going through this growing pains of excessive technology where our a lot of our self-esteem is derived out of the likes and the follows and the things like that how do you teach children because we're learning there's no manual for parents no in fact my podcast that's coming out on wednesday is with a woman named andrea davis who's written a book called um um oh of course it just left my mind creating a tech healthy family. And um, we're talking exactly about that, that we are kind of the first generation of parents to deal with this technology in the hands of our kids. And how do we do that? You know, I posted a quote last week that you can't raise your kids how your parents raised you because that world no longer exists. 
And um, we have to up our game. We have to change things up. And we really have to focus on building that connection and relationship with our kids. Um, because that, the manual is right here in our brain. The manual is in our heart. We, we can learn and we can know what, our, what will be best for our kids, but we have to really tune in. Yeah, I mean, how many, parent, how many, how many people do you think actually are having conversations, real conversations with their kids? Are they seeking to understand what they need, what they want? Obviously, kids always tell you because they send you their list and they send you, you know. Yeah, but is it, the, is it the list of the material things they need or is it really <laughs> what they need inside? Because those are vastly different. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, and I have actually developed uh, five core values that kind of guide our parenting. I'm not the person that you're going to go to online that I'm going to tell you step by step what to do with your kids because my kids are really different than your kids. You know, you have two daughters. I have four sons and one daughter. And mm -hmm. so our, our issues that our kids deal with are going to be really different. And so... I think that parenting from a place of values that guides you in the decisions that you make um, in, when you're dealing with your kids is really powerful. And yet, don't you think that specifically is very challenging because our values may not coincide with the neighbor's values? Well, yeah, and that's why you have to develop it for, your, for yourself, for your own family. Um, I mean, my values aren't my values aren't religious based that my parenting values it's that you know some of the values are kids do well when they can when they're not doing very well then there's something going on that we need to figure out what that is and why they're you know if your kid is flunking out in school it's not about the grades there's something going else going on and right. if we have the relationship with them and the connection with them we can have conversations with them about what that is um you know, another one is don't take it personally. It's not about you because, and that can be, get really hard when teens are being sassy and talking back and saying things to you and criticizing what you're doing in your parenting. But guess what? It's not about you. It's about their struggles and things like that. And so we need to be the grown up and be the adult and not get sucked into that arguing and conflict and things with our kids. Yeah, because it's definitely changed because we all, you, you and uh, Dave, me, we come from patriarchal homes where the old-fashioned way of the man is the head of the household, his wife is like the help meet, mm -hmm. and, yet, and yet I've always found that personally to not be a correct system because I've always believed that the, the equality of the, the marriage and the relationship needs to be the mother really running the show because I, I've always believed that women are more powerful emotionally and mentally and knowing how to raise children than men. And for centuries, men have just kind of run everything. And I'm glad that we're shifting. Do you, do you think what why do you think there's been a shift in women having more control more power in the home and why has it taken so long 
in the history of mankind for women well, to, to, to be more in control? Well, I think that as, um, you know, women hundred years ago got the right to vote, um, step by step throughout time, we're starting to see that equality build. And I think that there has to be an equality in the partnership of the marriage that, you know, my husband has definite strengths and skills in parenting that are different than mine, that are just as valuable in talking and with and connecting with our kids than I do and vice versa. And so I think that um, the, instead of the old model of you'll do what I say because I'm the parent and don't ask questions, I think we have to put that away because our kids are different than you and I were. Um, their situations are vastly different. We need to know why they're pushing our boundaries, why they're not listening or being obedient. We need to know why, because there is real danger out there if we don't have that communication and connection with them. And so um, I, one of our other parenting values is the relationship matters most. You know, their hair color doesn't matter. What they wear doesn't matter. Um, you know, getting their ears pierced doesn't matter. The relationship between you and your kids is really the thing that matters and what you really need to focus on because when they are struggling and they're really having a hard time, if you don't have that relationship, they're going to turn to their friends. They're going to turn to um, their drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography or whatever to numb those hard things that they're going through. The way you know that you've had some success in parenting is when they will come to you when they are struggling and having a hard time. Yes. That's successful parenting. It's yes. not them being compliant and obedient. It's them turning to you as a parent and saying, I'm struggling. I mean, we had one of our kids come to us with something really tough, really hard stuff. And I started to cry, not in front of him, but after, because I knew we had done something right because it was tough stuff. And he came to us before going to his friends or going to some other thing. And we've worked really hard to create that kind of connection and relationship with our kids. And we're not perfect by any means. We still lose it and break down and yell sometimes and whatever. We're all human. But yeah. I think really focusing on that connection instead of just the dad's in charge. When your dad gets home, he'll take care of this. Or, you know we have these family rules, but you don't get any say. We really talk to our kids a lot about family rules and why we feel like these are important, but we also listen to them about why they feel like it's important. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like our parents, particularly my parents, they did a, an amazing job. Oh, my parents did an amazing job too. Yeah. Raising eight children and obviously you guys seven. Yeah. seven children. I can't even imagine the sacrifices that they made, but they make those sacrifices because they love their children. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, do you think that we need our children more than they need us? Mm, I think it's a symbiotic relationship. I think it's, it goes both ways. And I think one thing that I've learned over the last few years is that parenting isn't about my kids. It's about me. It's about my journey. It's wow. refining me. It's, it's, they have their journey. 
they have their path and I'm there to guide them, to love them, to be there for them, to coach them. But this journey is about me and refining me more than it's about how they turn out. Because I can't control how they turn out. Right. <laughs> I, but I think we all try to control. Oh, absolutely. How it turns 100%. out. We want them to go to this specific school. We want them to be interested in the things we're interested in. But it's amazing when you sit back and recognize that the two, that the, ch the child that you created that has some of your DNA and the mother's DNA, that you can't create a personality. Right. They come with a personality, and it's so fascinating to watch it is. and observe and just the little things they say that are just so, like, mind-blowing. You know, my youngest taught me what a narwhal was. <laughs> I had no idea what a narwhal was, you know. Uh, I learned things, I, and that's yeah. what's beautiful about Yeah, it's, it's definitely – and one of the other things that um, – I talk about is dropping your agenda as a parent, mm. you know, dropping your expectations of what they're going to do or they're going to become or whatever. And just letting them find their path. You're there for them. You can guide them. You can advise them, all of that. But, you know, I think that all of us, and I think it's totally natural as a parent to think, Oh, I want them to, do really well in school and I want them to get scholarships and I want them to go to college and all of those. And none of those are bad things, but we don't have control over whether they do those things or not. Um, and so I think dropping that agenda. And sometimes when I say that dropping your expectations, your agenda, people think it's a free for all at home. Well, you don't have any expectations for them to help around the house or, you know, all of these things. And that's not what it is at all. It's just letting them find their own path. Yeah. In that process, obviously, it's a frustration for parents because, you know, when you know how to help and how to guide and how to teach, and yet they can't comprehend yet those principles or those things, it takes a lot of patience. It does take a lot of patience. <laughs> and it takes a lot of biting your tongue, especially as they get older. The older they get the more they need to feel like they need a sense of control over their life. I talk with a lot of um, parents of teens and, you know, teens and toddlers are actually eerily similar in their development because their whole developmental goal is to separate themselves from their parents, both two and three year olds and both and, and teenagers. And so the goal for them. And so if you're trying to hold back and hold in, the, bring in the reins with, um, teenagers, you're going to get a lot of pushback. You're going to get a lot of rebellion and things like that. The more they feel like they have some say and some control in their life, that's where the better relationship comes. And I don't think, and you can, you know, in all your experience, how many parents, how many parents actually go and study or look online to understand childhood development, the stages not because, as many as should. <laughs> it's because a, it's a big, it's a big eye opener when you, when you go the the, event, the the developmental stages of a young girl. Because once you read those things, it's like, oh, 
that's why they're acting this way. Exactly. Exactly. I've always said every parent, as they're pregnant, should take a child development course. And then as their kid turns about 10, take a teenage development course. And, you know, um, there's a couple of really great books out there that I'll uh, share. Uh, there's a book called The Whole Brain Child by Dan Siegel. Um, okay. His last name is S-I-E-G-E-L. Um, it talks about brain development. It's fascinating. And it's a fairly easy read. He also has a great book called No Drama Discipline, which is based on that same book. On the So it's dr- discipline or teaching your kids because they should be the same thing. Okay. Um, that it's the, the discipline is based off that brain development. Yeah. And then, and then um, there's another one called the teenage brain. And I think it might be by Dan Siegel too. Let me check just real quick. The one that I read, the one that I read that was fascinating is from Lisa Demore. She's a PhD. It's called untangled mm. guiding teenage girls through the seven transitions into adulthood. Oh, I have, I haven't it's read that one. So but... good. It's very good. It, it, you know, with my 14-year-old, uh, it really significantly helped me because, yeah. you know, she experienced the divorce of her parents, moving uh, from state to state. Obviously, you know, we go every month to spend time with the kids. But it's getting to the point now, Cheryl, where they, you know, she's a teenager. She wants to be with her friends. Yeah. So every time I'm in town and every time I'm with her and all that stuff, she wants to be with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. That's the dynamic that a lot of parents faced, Uh a lot of divorced men, a lot of divorced women. They go and they get their parent time. And then it's like, well, why doesn't my child want to be with me right now? It's a tug of war. Do you you make them spend time with you or should there be more freedom and flexibility in saying, I love you. I got your back. You can call me. Uh, Go and have a good time. Well, I think it's a compromise. I think you talk to them and say, hey, I'm in town. I really would love to spend time with you. Um, How about if we go to dinner together and then you can go see your friends? You know, but talking to her about what would work for her, you know, can can we compromise so that we spend time together and you get some friend time? You know, I think that that's key with kids because I think often we've treated teenagers like they're dumb or they're stupid or they their their attitude stinks or whatever and really they're just trying to find that freedom and that control and so when we collaborate with them rather than try to control it i think it makes a huge difference that's right because we were all teenagers once and we all knew that our parents were just a little behind the times (laughs) you know their music was a little old school and we wanted some Upbeat music, and you yeah. know, it makes me go. I wonder what the kids kids are going to be listening to. You know, in yeah. the music world aspect of things. Uh, let's talk about music for a minute because this is for the American Songwriter Podcast. Uh-huh. As a mother, how do you feel music affects the behavior of a child? You know, that's an interesting question because we hadn't had any real issues with music until one of our kids started. He really likes rap. And um, he really likes, you know, some of the rap that I would prefer him not to listen to. But again, it's an opportunity for a conversation. You know, hey, 
this is why I don't really appreciate this music because of the words it's used, because of how it portrays women, because of, you know, different things like that. Why do you like it? And I think listening to our kids' music is really important. I mean, it yes. may drive you crazy, may drive you nuts, but it, first of all, connects you to them. And second of all, it gives you an opportunity to have conversations. Hey, you know, I didn't really like that. What do you like about that song? You know, asking them, what do you like about that song? Well, this is, I liked the beat, but I didn't like these words. And this is why, what do you think about that? You know, I think that instead of forcibly banning certain things, using it, and guess what? Some, he doesn't listen to some of that music anymore. And I don't, you know, he made that choice because he realized, oh, this has some messages that maybe I don't want. So I think, you know, I think sometimes in our growing up uh, generation, we didn't talk about the hard stuff. We didn't talk well, about you, the... You sweep it under the rug because it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's just a taboo conversation. And so yeah. you go, you know, everything from sexuality to, uh -huh. to, to all kinds of things. Uh, the music thing is very interesting because I'm a firm believer that what we listen to affects our moods and how we treat people. Yeah, I, I agree. And Sting, uh, in talking about music, the way him and his wife Trudy treated music with their children was they would sit down and read the lyrics as a family. Oh, so it's got, yeah, that's know, a good one. It's got, let's sit around at, at the dinner table and let's, re why don't you recite the lyrics? We read the rap music. Yeah, yeah, so you got Ja Rule in there, whatever. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, you take like this, uh, well, I'm not going to be specific on music, but, you know, my dad, he, he was a Kingston Trio guy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that stuff is very beautiful, innocent, sweet. I was a Rush guy. So yeah. I was I was listening to like stuff about spaceships and and just yeah. cars I and things Ma like that. I liked Madonna. That was oh, like a virgin. You know, yeah, that was shameful. That was awful. You know, but, but we didn't see it. We never saw no. it as mm -hmm. controversy because, like right. my mom, like mom would always say, "I don't want you to say the word suck, but you can say hell." <laughs> Because we didn't know what that meant. Yeah. And so it's like parents as parents, we know all these things and we observe these things. But for the kids, how, what, I mean, don't you think though they're getting smarter and they really know what is really being said uh, versus, or do, they, or do you think there's still kind of that gap of um, it, I think it depends on the kid. Okay. I think a lot of it depends on the kid. Um, I think there is some naivety in a sense because they may realize that they're talking about something specific but may not realize the whole thing. I don't know. I think that it depends on the kid. But, um, yeah, I think, I think our kids are smarter than we were. And so that's another reason why we have to keep that line of communication open that, you know, um, they're hearing about all this stuff on the news and they're hearing about school shootings and they're hearing about kids taking their lives and, you know, all these things that I didn't hear about growing up. And so they need adults in their life who are willing to talk about it, who are willing to talk about the hard stuff. Do you feel that parents need to be very open with their children about sexuality and about uh, violence and everything that in terms of sexuality, I mean, um, we've become more open in our sexuality mm -hmm. in our in our nation 
more accepting of lifestyles mm-hmm. and um, what age do you really start to help them understand um, sexuality because I think we go into marriage not fully knowing particularly yeah. in the Utah community where people majority mm-hmm. of the people are abstaining from sex until they're married um, and yet so many people on the outside of those communities will say, oh, well, you needed to have sex before you got married <laughs> because it's yeah. a problem within the marriage. Yeah. How do you handle those scenarios? Well, I think that talking about sexuality starts when they're really little using right body part terms and not making it shameful. Um, there's a great uh, therapist on Instagram called, her name's Kristen Hodson. And she talks about how, you know, we should be as comfortable talking about our private parts as we are about our hands and our nose. Our kids should be as comfortable talking about those parts of their body as they are any other part. And that, um, you know, we're the ones who put kind of that shame and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, kind of the shame around it. Yeah. It's kind of like subtle. It's kind of like, Oh no, oh boy. You know, yeah. When in reality, and so, you know, as they start developing and growing and asking about, certain things and relationships and things like that, that you're, you just answer their questions. And I think it's even okay to say, you know what, this question might make me feel, you might notice that I might be a little bit uncomfortable, but it's, it's important enough to me to talk with you about it that I'm, we're going to talk about it. Um, so I think it's just having that real openness from the time they're really small and just making it a matter of fact part of life that sexuality is a part of life so yeah i think i think uh there are topics you want to talk to with your children and yet at the same time we will say well when you're older uh-huh. we'll talk to you uh-huh. about it when we're older but shouldn't you at least provide some type of information you can yeah the- well i think it's important to realize what they're actually talking about because i have a friend who her son asked a question now i can't remember what it was <laughs> but she gave him a big long answer and it was about sexuality and he was just like i just wanted to know it's like he wanted a really simple answer and she's like i weigh i gave him way too much information so kind of finding out what they're asking about but um you know, step by step, you kind of give them the information. Yeah. What, as we start to kind of wind down here, what is, what is probably the greatest experience you've ever had with your children in a teaching hmm. situation where, they, where you've seen this transformation, this real, uh, from advice you, you guys were able to give, or maybe advice they gave to you? Hmm. Well, I would say we have really radically changed our parenting in the last two to three years. Um, We just, we, out of necessity and circumstance, we realized that what we were doing was not creating these relationships and connections. When kids are really struggling, the old stuff doesn't work. And we have to be willing to change our approaches to them and things. And so... I would say that's been my most rewarding experience is it's been tough. It's been, you know, Dave and I have come at it from different ways and sometimes there's conflict between us about it. um, But we've really learned to come together. And I don't think there's anything wrong with conflict in marriage. I think that 
healthy relationships with two strong people, you're going to have some conflict in marriage, but it's how you approach it and talk about it and work through it. So um, I would say probably, and I would bet Dave would say the same thing, our most rewarding parts of parenting have been in the last couple of years where we have seen a real shift in our relationships with our kids. They've become so much more open and loving and um, real. It's not just a, we're not a role. I'm not just, my role isn't a mom. My relationship with my kids is a mother-son-daughter relationship, not just a role. So what were you doing before? Well, I think we were just, well, I think we were just doing, and we were good parents before. I'm not, we weren't terrible parents. We were good parents, but it was just kind of the, um, kind of the control thing. We're the parents. We're going to make the rules. We're going to make the consequences. You know, we're going to put you in timeout or we're going to, you know, take away privileges and things like that. And there's, there's really nothing wrong with that. But when you see that your relationship with your kids, when they're really struggling, that that's not working, you have to really change it up. And um, so now it's more collaboration. I mean, we still have rules. We still have boundaries, you know, but it's more like they have input as they get older, as teenagers, they have, you know, we partner with them. We collaborate with them and chatting with them rather than just, we lay down the law and you have to follow it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because our parents did do a fantastic job yeah. with the knowledge they had. And yet I think so many parents, once they become grandparents, start to look back and reflect and say, did we do everything we possibly could have done? Because maybe not all of our children are doing everything we had hoped for them to do. How important is it to try to see the value in who they are versus who they are not? Yeah, I think that as parents, we have to give ourselves a lot of grace because none of us are doing it all right. We all make mistakes, and that's part of the journey of parenthood is learning from our mistakes and things like that. And we can't give every child we have everything they possibly need. Um, and But I also truly believe that we are the right parents for our kids, that they came to us for a reason, that God sent them to us for a reason. And so we are the parent they're supposed to have, but we're not going to do it perfectly. And so I think that we can't take credit for all the good they do, nor can we take the blame for them making different choices or doing, making poor choices or, you know, things like that. We can't, that's not our right as a parent, because if we take the blame for all their choices and feel like we should have done so much more, then we take the credit for all the good, but that's their journey. That's right. And I love that you mentioned God because majority of people throughout the world have some type of higher power uh-huh. to turn to because they recognize they can't manage their own life and they're obviously also in religious tradition. But how, how has God played a role in your raising of, I, I want to say raising of his kids? Yeah. Well, I think when you have the the thought that I do that they're on loan to me from him, and that um, it kind of changes how you do things. That he needs to be a partner in the raising of his kids, and that 
when we're struggling with our kids because we're imperfect and we're mortal and we're going to make mistakes, he knows the answers. And we can turn to him for those answers. And they might not come quickly and they may come in different ways than we think. They may come in just different thoughts we have. They may come in certain people that come into their life. There may, you know, there's lots of different ways that those answers can come. But we just have to be open to that. And I truly believe that parents, and especially moms, have this intuition about their kids that is usually right. That when we so, have a thought about our kids and how we should do things, I, I believe that most of the time that intuition is right. Yeah, so you, you talk about how you're going to have these feelings. You know, it's your gut feeling. Uh -huh. anyone, anyone could obviously say that's, yeah. just, that's just you. And, uh, but, but you talk about God, and, and do you, are you praying to God? Are you meditating to get those answers? Where you Because know, I'm, I'm just, for, for those that are not religious, those that are not um, involving that higher power, that you mm -hmm. claim to have and so many parents have, how do you actually access that? Well, I do pray. Um, and a lot of times, you know, that they talk about the prayer in your heart. A lot, I have that in my heart almost all the time when I'm talking to my kids, when I'm, you know, we're struggling with kids. Um, I always kind of have that prayer like, Oh, I just need some extra help. Please help me. Um, you know, but sometimes the answer comes not necessarily while I'm praying, but later in the day, I listen to a podcast that I felt drawn to, or I read something in a book or an article or something that is the answer that I needed that I asked God for. I really believe the more specific we ask questions we ask God, the more specific our answers will be. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're having a really specific issue with one of your kids you know I need to know how to help them learn how to do better in school um, and then you have to go out and you have to do the research and the work and the things like that because I found that really the answers come as I'm doing my best to find them and I will be led to what I what's needed and it's and it's worked for you it's worked for us yeah your podcast is Fight Like a Mother. It is. And if people want to find that, can they just ask Alexa and Siri? Is there a website? Uh, I do have a website. It's fightlikeamotherpodcast.com. But you can also access it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, you know, most of the, the major podcast and what's uh, your, platforms. What's your Instagram? What's your my Instagram is just my name, Cheryl Cardall. So if they know how to spell your name, my first name is <laughs> my first name is C H E R Y L. So they can find me there. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and well, thanks for having me. Giving us all this good parenting advice. Well, thanks, Paul. <laughs> all right. Talk to you later, Cheryl. All right. Bye. Bye. Hi everyone. I'm Paul Cardall. I want to take a minute away from the podcast to tell you about my brand new album, The Broken Miracle. This album is my story, my memoir. In fact, it is inspired by the novel, The Broken Miracle by J.D. Netto. A couple of years ago, he and I got together and we talked and he wanted to write a novel based on my crazy life in order to tell people how valuable you are. Listen, I've been broken, but I'm not beaten. 
I've been down, but I'm still breathing. And I'm the man with half a heart who has learned so much about the value of this life and how meaningful it is and how fragile it is. And when we see so many people surrendering and giving up, and even I at moments want to give up, this life is worth fighting for. And that's what The Broken Miracle is all about. The album and the novel, learn about it at thebrokenmiracle.com. When you subscribe at thebrokenmiracle.com, you can get the first three chapters of the novel for free. And then you can see on the page at thebrokenmiracle.com all the artists, the incredible artists from David Archuleta to Thompson Square who are featured on the new album. So (laughs) that's the news. That's the uh, latest information on the project I've been working on. I'm really proud of it. And I hope that you'll go and pre-order it today. Uh, Go to thebrokenmiracle.com and you'll get all that information right there. Back to the podcast. All Heart with Paul Cardall goes beyond the typical interview podcast to dive deep into life's biggest issues. Paul is proud to share his conversations with you here on the American Songwriter Podcast Network.